500 vehicles to sell, 500 ways to save. One month only at Phil Penny Mitsubishi during May Memorial Month. Now through May 31st, we will accept your credit application. A $200 down payment and a $350 a week paycheck can get you a new Mitsubishi. Don't forget, every new vehicle comes with our 10-year unlimited warranty. You can win 5000 with our 5K test drive giveaway. Visit PhilPennyMitsubishi.com. To qualify buyers on approved credit, warranty valid through 10-year ownership on new vehicles only. One entry per household per month. Must be 21 with valid driver's license and insurance. See dealer for details. Shut up and sit down. Offending people in Minion headquarters with my atheism that I forgot to get me a drink. Uh, tonight we're going to be talking with um, Lady Holder, um, whose pen name is Lexi Bain. And um, just for the record, uh, my atheism isn't. Don't take it personally. Um, I don't. I believe all religions are bullshit. All of them. But don't take it personally because I don't think you're bullshit. Does that make sense? Um, it's just me. It's just me. It's just the way I am. You have to deal with it. Uh, anyways, <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> <laughs> anyways, we're gonna. My chat room is all fucked up and weird, and it's really tiny. So um, I'm probably not gonna be able to keep track of you guys tonight. And I don't know why it is it is that way. I tried making it bigger, and it won't go bigger. Um, can you guys hear me? Can you hear me? I hope you can hear me. Um, anyways, Lady Holder is on the phone, so I'm going to put her on the air, and we're going to talk. Hello. You're on the air, Lady Holder. They fucked Yay. up. They, they made my... They made my dashboard new, weird, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, what does this even mean over here? So if I, if we take a call and I hang up on somebody, it's just because my dashboard is new and no one told me. That's just ridiculous. Okay. Thank you, Azur. Azur says, on behalf of Christians everywhere, you're still welcome for your peanut butter um, eggs. And I do thank you. I do thank Christians everywhere for um, corrupting Easter and you know, from a pagan holiday and making it their own and but mostly it's just for the candy. Because the yeah. Easter bunny always freaked me the fuck out when I was little. But the candy is awesome. The okay. candy is the best. Lady part Holder of the whole has thing. Lady Holder has some news. So what news do you want to share first? Um, I'm gonna give me a drink. You go get a drink. There will be no alcohol with the drink, but there yeah, you get a drink. Okay, It'll be so key. my news is, yes, I know. Um, my news is, uh, and not long one, well, you can always have an Arnold Palmer. I mean, that's, well, wait a second, that's <laughs> half and half um, tea and, and lemonade, right? I think so, which sounds kind of gross, actually. Yeah. Go ahead. News, actually, news. Uh, I love, love the thing. Okay, 
So the news is, um, and I hinted at it, for those people who have seen my, my Facebook page, um, I've actually got a page for my, my uh, published alter ego, Lexi Bain, and um, it is a very nice page where I get to announce stuff um, as, as to what's going on. And um, the link for that is now in the chat room. If it actually will, you know, go up there. And it's it in okay. the description so, of the radio show as well. Yay! For those of okay, you who so are hey, listening to the know. podcast. Yes. But uh, there's a hint on, on my page about uh, the potential for an audiobook for Mating Hunt, which is the first book that I, I sold. And today I got the news that um, the actual you know, audio book has been uploaded over to Audible, and it is now available for purchase. And um, it was read by a lady with an absolutely gorgeous Irish accent. Oh, it was, it, it's just gorgeous. And it's a little over two hours um, worth of, of, of reading. And I love it. I mean, I, I enjoyed listening to um, the, the first chapter, and you know, it definitely worth worth the fun. Awesome! So I have no idea I'm very here, super proud. I'm I'm just thrilled, <laughs> you know. And so that is the first bit of news. And so for those folks who have access to Audible. It is available right away, and so anybody can get it and start listening to it. And hey, you know, congratulations and have fun with it. The second bit of and news I'll put a link is, up on the description as well. Mm-hmm. And on my I'll put my, a link up um, on the app. Facebook. Yeah, and on my Facebook page and on my WordPress, there will be links to this as well. Um, the second bit of news is earlier this week, I think. No, pardon me. Earlier this week, I signed the contract for my second book, which is... um, Yay! Yay, yes! It is absolutely not related (laughs) to the first book. Um, It is a contemporary romance. Oh, well, we can't have everything. No, we can't. It is a (laughs) contemporary romance between uh, two uh, men who meet and date and do a little bit of falling in love. And uh it's um it's a it's a nice short little story. So that one um is not expected to come out until June. I do not have a cover yet because hey, you know, I just signed for this thing on Monday. So as soon as I get a cover and, you know, um artwork and stuff, I will definitely be sharing it all far and wide so everyone can see. So I am, I am very, very happy with how things are turning out because of how much, how much fun I'm having with this, and it is a lot of fun. It's just, I still have that same problem where you know, holy Hannah, I'm actually a, I'm writing this, and b, there's also that, that feeling of, um, I miss the structure. I mean, you you went from actually doing the the writing original stuff to to going to fanfic, and I went the opposite route, and I had structure. I mean, mm-hmm. I, there was a built-in canon already, and so I didn't have mm-hmm. to um, 
I didn't have to work quite as hard. I didn't have to build all the background, and that is, um, you know, that now is 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 the hard part where I'm getting used to it. You know, um, is that your biggest stumbling block? Nice. You think? Yeah, I think it is. It's it's sometimes it's just putting all the background stuff together. You know. Um, Oh, before we go any further, I actually mm-hmm. have permission. Lexi got permission from the publisher I for did. us I to um, do a sample uh, mm-hmm. of the audiobook. So this is the sample of the audiobook, The Mating Hunt by Lexi Bain, narrated by Allison Cope and published by Cobblestone Press. And we're going to play it, and it's just like four minutes and 26 seconds. I'm going to put everybody on mute so you guys can listen to it, and it is fucking awesome. Yay! Chapter 1. The mating ball was frustrating. Actually, you went out the whole search for your destined mate thing, dressed up as a ball, was the biggest time waster since Tetris. Just not as much fun. He winced at the sharp note the musicians hit and tried not to growl. Even the music annoyed him. Stepping around the couple swaying together on the edge of the dance floor, he smiled at the sight. As much as he wasn't enjoying himself here, it looked as if someone was getting something out of the event. Taking a closer look at the couple, he saw the weir was one of the clan, and his smile grew. Marcus was going to be happy that at least one good thing was coming out of tonight, and another bonding for the clan was a very good thing. The weir in question looked up at him, and Liam nodded. The happy grin the other man wore stretched out even further. His clansmen ignored the whispers around them as he maneuvered his partner closer to the edge of the dance floor so they could meet. Maris Delaporis, may I introduce you to Liam O'Fallon, the mate of my clan leader, Marcus O'Fallon. Liam, this is my lady, Maris Stella. Corey Raylan, one of his mate's many cousins, waved back and forth between Liam and the young lady he had been wrapped around. Liam smiled and gave her a half-bow. He knew better than to touch her. Taking in a deep breath through his nose, he tried to pick a scent out of the mess moving through the ballroom. There was the usual miasma of people, and then he caught a hint of mint and green grass. Liam took note of the scents and filed them away for later comparison. He was well aware that the chances of getting a good scent trace off anyone in the current crush would be difficult. Since he wasn't going to touch Maristella, there was no way to get anything better. He also wasn't going to push to try and improve on what he already had. A pleasure to meet you, Miss Porus. Welcome to the clan. He let his smile stretch a bit wider and watched her blush. She was a very pretty young lady. Corey, I left Marcus at the punch bowl. He's probably in dire need of a distraction. Why don't you go introduce your lady to him? Smiling happily, the new couple moved off and Liam stared at them for a moment before he dropped his own smile. Sighing in frustration, the blonde weir wiped a hand over his mouth and then started moving around the room again. At least someone in their clan was getting something useful out of the event. He let himself slip into the automatic meet-and-greet he had perfected at his parents' business dinner, and made certain to smile and shake hands with anyone who greeted him. Circling the room again, Liam caught the scent they had noticed at the last ball. Bergamot and vanilla, rich, fertile, and female. The scent had been taunting them for the last three months. He took several deep breaths and tried to zero in on the scent, but it was too diffused, too old. Whoever she was, she wasn't at the ball now. Growling, 
He felt himself start to shift and closed his eyes. He was in public. He was the mate to the Alpha of Clan Lufalin, and there was no way in the world he could lose his shit here. It was familiarity, more than anything else, that let him relax back against his mate when he felt arms go around him. Leaning into the embrace of his Alpha, Liam went limp. Fuck perception. He needed reassurance. She's not here. I know. Marcus rumbled into his ear before nothing it. Corey found someone. Makes this particular purse worth it. Now I want to go. We aren't getting anywhere. Agreed. Liam sighed before he straightened up and moved out of his mate's arms. Straightening his jacket with a few careful tugs, he looked around. Most of the people surrounding them weren't paying them any mind, and he carefully noted the ones who were. Clan badges were required of all attendees, but most of the people looking at him had on a second badge, identifying them as employees of the board committee. This has gotten frustrating. It is, but not here, the alpha cautioned before grabbing his mate's hand. There we go. She's got a very nice voice. <laughs> she does. It's yeah, very it's... relaxing. Um, I don't actually mm-hmm. listen to audio books um, because if I did, I'd probably go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, that's not good. Yeah. <sighs> For those of you who may have missed the sample, you can, um, <clears throat> and please be aware that the transfer from the radio show probably isn't a great way to listen to it, but you can go to muscle. the, um, right, you can go to the audiobook listening, listing and listen to mm-hmm. it there. Um, and um, it, there you go. <clears throat> that could be transferring it into blog talk. So do go check it out on uh, the Audible page, and the link is up on um, the uh, description. And I just dropped it into the chat for those who who are here in chat. So it's um it's an incredibly lovely thing, you know. And it I was I was very very shocked to um to get given the option because uh, you know as much as as I tease and and I don't believe in some ways exactly how um big name of a fan I'm really not I feel in um in fandom this is this shocked the hell out of me that I got given this option um and if you if you put your when when the computer uh the computer's playing the commercials there's normally a pause button somewhere in there. Sorry, hon. Um, I found I find it at this point to be really um when I think about exactly how lucky I got, because I know I got lucky, not everybody gets this chance. I mean, there's a lot of people who, you know, noodle away at doing the great American novel for years, and, and, you know, lo and behold, I got given this. You know, so not expected. 
so not expected. So, hmm. Yeah, I'm not a real big fan of the commercials on Blog Talk at this point. But, hey, call in. Overwhelm her board. I do appreciate those of you who have the ads and commercials on your page because um, that generates revenue, which helps pay for the radio show. Oh, so I, I appreciate my, it. I've got ads and pages you know, <laughs> online. I'll, I'll be honest and say it's there. The, the The problem is, is I have this lovely thing. I keep calling in. I, I don't really care if I'm on or not. I still call in, mm-hmm. and then I hit mute, so it can play all at once. <laughs> it works out great. Mm-hmm. Yes. So. Yeah. Um. I've actually been doing pretty good as far as the sales are going. As uh, for um the the book, uh, I got <laughs> um. The really weird thing is, is for 2014, I got this little itsy bitsy. Um. Amount, I wasn't expecting much because, you know, I, I got told, you know, straight up that it takes a little bit of time for everything to get to get moving, and you know everything worked out. And then in January I got a really nice, you know, royalty check. I bought a new chair. Here keeps thinking that my cats are my old chair. They're not. They're my cats. <laughs> well, and her old chair just like a dying cat for like two years. Yes. Well, you know, it may have sounded like a dying cat, but now I don't have that particular problem. But the cat will sit here and meow right next to me and sound like the dying chair. So, you know, good times. So, um, yeah. Um, but I bought myself my 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 first thing with this, and it was a brand-new chair. It was a very expensive brand-new chair that is really nice and cushy and squishy, and I love it. I'm not going to call it purchase, but... It feels really nice. So, it's for tangible precious. proof that I did something good, yeah, it, it it was precious because it means that my back doesn't start screaming after two hours into the chair, you know. Because, you know, I, I get I sit down on the weekends when I'm when I'm home, and the chances of me actually getting out unless I have an errand, not too great. You know, comfy chairs are the best thing ever. You know, um, although I really wish I could find, the husband got me a chair one year, and unfortunately it broke, and I really, really wish it hadn't broken. It was basically the office version of a chair and a half, so it was wider than normal and I could curl up, and it was so comfortable. And then it broke, and I can't find it again. It's frustrating. Uh, What, um... What's the most difficult part um, for you in the publication process? Most recently, the most difficult part was hitting send. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's it's. Um, I've done this twice now. I, I I've sent things off into the wild blue yonder. Uh, the the people reading my stuff doesn't bother me. Um, I've gotten very used to that over the years, thanks to fan fiction, and thank you, fan fiction, for growing my um, my thick skin um, because it doesn't bother me. Um, 
and weirdly in in this particular um, universe of of experience with being Lexi, um, I've actually gotten people who've been bitchy and who've left bitchy reviews. <laughs> it's really weird. Um, <laughs> but well, I've gotten the it's too short, and it's like really. I'll tell you something. I once wrote a book that was 115,000 words, and I still had someone come to me and say, this was too short. Okay, I'm going to be honest. So let that review just roll right off your back, because it is bullshit and means nothing. Yeah, no, they don't bother me. They really don't. But I'll be honest and say that the... um, Really bitchy, horrible ones that you you put out things like um, "Big Gay Love in Canada" um, that that you've got. If that thing tops three hundred thousand words, I'll think it's too short because I like it when you're bitchy. All right, but <laughs> that's just me. <laughs> you know, I I've got no problems with you sitting there being bitchy all throughout the universe. Let's go. Um, too short, too long, not enough sex, oh, too much yeah. sex. Oh, yeah, apparently. Too much gay the, um, sex, too much het sex, too much dialogue, uh, not enough dialogue, too much description, not enough description. Some readers will never be happy. <laughs> I'm not writing for them. I'm writing I'm writing to get this you know, the stuff out of my head. Um, I'm writing because it's fun. And honestly I'm writing because um my publisher says, Yes, please sell and I will buy from you. And so, you know, me being able to hand it on and say, does, it, does this work for you? And them saying, yes, it does, that's just phenomenal, okay? Um, I like my publisher. I, I've got nothing but good things to say about my publisher. So, you know, more power to them and, yeah, all, all good things. Um, but the hardest thing, you know, even with doing this twice has been to hit send and then to sit there and write the blurb. I don't write blurbs. I hate writing blurbs. I hate writing blurbs for fanfic where I've got to cheat. Where I can say, look, it's like this episode here and there and everything is wonderful and it's done. No. This is having to pull the blurb out of full cloth. I don't write blurbs. I sound like a moron. But hey, hopefully my, my editor will go over that too and fix it. Hopefully. Cross my fingers. For me, when I first started publishing, my biggest stumbling block was editing. I hate to say that you broke me of that ages ago. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have a problem. I. Oh, you know, it wasn't, it was like my first three or four books. I was like, oh, I hate this bitch. I hate her. Oh, God, I hate her. She's such a cunt. But I got over it. (laughs) I'm not saying I didn't do my edits. I did. I did my edits. I'm just saying I didn't like it. Yeah, no. But I I think if I had cut my teeth in fandom before I went professional, Mm -hmm. that um, the edits wouldn't have bothered me at all. But I was young. Well, it was also you you didn't play in this particular world. So, you know, how are you supposed to 
you know, um, to deal with it. I mean, this is the, this is what I learned to be a writer in because, you know, I, I will be honest, I got double dog dared and, you know, I decided to um, live up to the double dog dare and I wrote. And um, it works out really well for me because, you know, I'm now much more comfortable with how things, you know, are going. So, yes, the, the, the dare was um, from um, Muriel is is the is the um, AO3 address that she go, she has now, and um, it was Stargate Atlantis, and it was end of the world stuff, and it worked out really well, and we had a good time. And my double dog there worked really well, you know, um, and I didn't expect it to. So. And well, when I was young, when I got first got published, I don't mean that stuff mm-hmm. I used to write by the and, and get paid for by the word. I didn't give a shit what they did to that after. I mean, I never even saw it published. Uh, they just sent me checks and thank you. I appreciate it. Um, Oh, by the but way. I mean, like when I first got like published as a as a as a romance writer, I um, mm-hmm. my first book, uh, my give a fuck was 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 huge and delicate, <laughs> and and now my give a fuck's broken. So it it makes a big difference. I was very sensitive, and um, but even then, I wasn't that person who was going to say no to an edit. I just cried instead. <laughs> yeah, I just cried on my husband no. instead. <laughs> I, I um, but I think that if you write in fandom, um, your give a fuck gets broken if if you stay, and if you're one of those ones who's going to run when it gets to be too much, um, then you you know your, yeah. your give a fuck's going to stay then, big and fragile. No, my my give a fuck went, you know, and and died ages ago, and you know it's it's um, honestly not something I'm ever planning on getting back. Uh, I um, I don't even know if I had one. I accept the fact that edits happen, okay? Because um, I'm realistic. I know that when I'm reading something that's mine, I'm gonna miss things because you know i i know the story this is my story this is what's coming out of my head and and i know what it should sound like and so i miss when i drop words or i sometimes drop concepts or even in one memorable occasion dropped most of a paragraph that was a good time um and so i have to put it in so that it, it it's in place and it makes sense and um it doesn't sound like, um, well, Dick and Jane uh, books or, you know, C-Spot Run, you know, which I think is a Dick and Jane <laughs> book, but whatever. You know, or Yoda, God help us all. I, I don't want to sound like him, you know. Um, so it, it's... My editor is there to make me sound better, and so right. um, 
I'm going to take advantage, every advantage of that to sound better and to learn from the person who, yes, um, they're, they're, um, they're editing my work, but I'm also learning something from them as they're doing it. So. I would agree that as a writer, I've never um, gone into the editing process and come out of it the other side without learning something. Mm-hmm. Even if it's just that, you know, you can reliably expect me to sit there and ask for more background and um, Chris to ask for more sex. Right. Because you know, that's just the way it goes. <laughs> Mostly sex, <laughs> because, you really, know, because, you know. Well, yeah. You know, if, if you're going to have, you know, fun fun time, you might as well go for the sex. Hmm. You know, I don't think Big Gay Love has any sex. That needs to be fixed. <laughs> um. Oh. The 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 thing I'm finding out the most about writing um, the stuff on my own and doing it um, without the frameworks is that even though I don't have a framework, I'm still in some ways. Um, relying on the frameworks that I that I would have used. Okay. Um, like what? Well, I write werewolf fan fiction. So, you know, you've got the, all the various werewolf um, shows out there and you pick and, and you choose the tropes that yes, and the legends, and you pick and you choose the tropes that make sense to you, and you work within them. Um, you know, the 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 one I'm, you know, the the universe I'm looking at, um, it's a combination of, in my head at least, um, various werewolf movies and shows with a little bit of, oh, let's see. Um, a little bit of Braveheart and there's a little bit of uh, a Liam Neeson movie in there that was, I can't remember the name of it, but you know, it's, it's, um, it's a lot of different things. And I, I will just roll things over with that. And then, um, use that particular framework and off I go. And I have to very carefully file off all the um, all the serial numbers. Got to make sure I do that. Mm. Hey, you can't leave them on. Well, the thing yeah. is, is I had somebody tell me once that there are like um, there are seven stories to tell. Yes, I've heard that one before. And um, it's not the story you tell; it's it's how you tell it. Mhm. True. And and oh, it's Rob. It's a little bit of Rob Roy. 
if you will, with with some of the the um, some of the the, the attitudes. Um, the there's what is it? There's nothing new under the sun. Um, every story out there, you can trace the paternity of it, if you will, from one story to another story to another story. Um, God knows I've got a damn near feels like a metric ton of romance novels you know, that I've either owned or have read in the past that um, that impact, you know. Although I will admit I don't do the whole fate the black thing because that's just boring. Um, I'm not going to do the nibbly biting vampire sex thing. I don't have vampires in in my stuff. Um, if I did do vampires, they would not sparkle. Actually, as I told the, <laughs> as I told the person I carpooled with, the closest they would come to sparkle would be the little sparks floating over their skin right before there was this nice big whoosh as they lit in the sun. That's my version of sparkling vampires. What's the difference between sparks and sparkle? <laughs> yes, well, Azura is, try- is trying to spark things off. Thank you, Azura, for that link. You know, and the, the, the violet wand, not really what I was talking about, but hey, you know, it's all good. Things to add to the, the list of, of potential possible future Items to get included. Yummy, delicious things you can do to people. No, I'm just <laughs> hmm. Yes, I'm wondering, but you know, hey, <laughs> no, there's no sharing of certain things. Ideas, maybe. We'll see. <sighs> Yes, Solus Amazon comments uh, about vampires, uh, like in Blade, where they burn and crumble. Yes, that's pretty much my idea of vampires. You know, because... I saw this great picture on Facebook where it it said, remember when vampires were evil? (laughs) Oh, And it had a picture of Gary Oldman from um, Dracula, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh yes! Hey, you know the other not the, other the version sexy of, uh, version of him, but like the old ugly version of him. Oh yes! Because <laughs> yes, if yes. you haven't watched Bram Stoker's Dracula, there are two. He, he he has three forms, I guess. He's a bat, and he's a really old ugly vampire, and then he's a hot young vampire. So um, the hot young one gets his sexy on him, but the old one's evil. But he turns into the old one. You you, you just gotta watch it. You just gotta watch it, just for the part where he's hot and sexy, and then turn it off because you don't want to see how it ends. Well, now wait a second. Isn't this isn't this the, the same um, uh, picture of him that you use for for serious when he's all, you know, uh, loving and, and and pretty and stuff? I do have it. I do have that picture saved on my computer. Yes. Yes. I wasn't beautiful. a real big fan of Dark Shadows. It did nothing for me. Sorry, Barb. Um, the the one the vamp the vampire of my childhood, Lost Boys. That's the vampire that that you know I remember a lot of. Yeah, you know, I didn't. They were the all Buffy. evil. Oh yes, they were. 
but yeah, evil they, they biker vampires with and their hair yep. and, and their hair their hair was just as yes. evil as the rest of them. Cause every single one of those motherfuckers yes. was sporting a uh, what you call it mullet. Yes, <laughs> a mullet for the <clears throat> Yep. But I liked I liked Lost Boys. You know, I, I enjoyed the hell out of that particular one. Um, Pen, double check your size fonts and look that up, please. Um, oh, um, I managed to speaking of 80s movies, um, I managed to get my mother to, to go watch a movie and she had loved it when I was a kid, and she's the one who introduced me to it. And she watched it as, you know, her her most recent, you know, within the last three weeks self. And at this point, she can't stand the movie. Mm. Do you remember Ice Pirates? I have Pirates? a friend. Uh, I love Ice Pirates. Me too. She can't stand it. It's ridiculous. Did she watch it too much? That's, that's just terrible. Um, you know, I had a actually, friend who watched A Few Good Men every day for six months, and now she can't even look at Tom Cruise without shuddering in horror. <laughs> she had an OCD compulsion, and she still has this OCD, but um, she's medicated now, and so she doesn't have these quirks anymore. But um, during her really bad phase, she would get... Mm-hmm attached to a movie and then she would play that movie every single day. She went through four VHS copies of A Few Good Men in six months. That's that's impressive. Disturbing, but impressive. Um, you know, it <laughs> really is. But uh um, so she did that to to a few good men and then she uh she had a real, real attachment to Amityville Horror and Poltergeist, but uh, no. fortunately she's medicated now, so she doesn't do that anymore much. No. I, I, I Net- Netflix is the worst alien. thing that ever happened to her. <laughs> okay. Netflix is bad. <clears throat> um, let's see. I... I desensitized myself to aliens because I had such a, a screaming fit the first time I saw it. But I liked um, I liked the character who played Hicks or the actor who played Hicks, mm. and so I wanted to, I, I, I love wanted him. to see the movie. Oh God, yummy! Some of the '80s leading men were definitely worth the hair gel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, but uh, I remember watching my way through that. I can watch Aliens now without a blink. I won't watch Alien. I sure as hell won't watch Alien 3, but Alien, Aliens was, was yeah, that was a good one. David Bowie. I can watch and... 1 and 2. I watch 1 and 2. I have to pretend that 3 and 4 didn't happen. 3 pisses me off. Newt should have grown up. She should and have 4 is worse. Hit. Yes. Oh, no, right? She didn't even get laid. What is wrong with this world? Uh-huh. uh-huh. Oh, and I gave Barbara Sam. my copy of Ice Pirates, so that way she can watch it and and, and spread the, the, the 
and spread the, the um, rainwater scene far and wide for all to see. It's that's, on YouTube. <laughs> I know this because yeah. I fucking watched it on YouTube. Yes, I did. I over, over YouTube put in <laughs> Ice Pirate sex scene. I totally did. I did that juvenile thing. That's what juveniles do. That's what kids do. I did it. You know what? You know. You know the other thing about that movie that makes me laugh every single time: the space herpes. I know, right? Their face, like, oh, everybody's just disgusted. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh I'm gonna slip that into something so badly. <laughs> that one's that one's a classic. Um. Sigourney Weaver, um, God, I can't remember her the character's name. Ripley definitely needed to to have her happy ending and and have you know her her have hit. And now I have to wonder because hey, I'm on Ao3, and you know if you're if you're I actually read an awesome fanfic where Ripley mm-hmm. um, and they all survive, but the company takes Snoot from her, and mm-hmm. Hicks goes and finds her. And while huh. Hicks is finding Newt, I read this a long time ago. I wonder where it is. So I had a paper copy yeah. of this. It must, it must be something my, one of my friends wrote. Anyway, while Hicks was doing that, Ripley was running around fucking the company up, <laughs> and she fucked them oh. up. Oh, well, yes. she let loose on them like a fucking holocaust. It was amazing. It was a great, it was a great fic. I wish, I wish I knew where, one of my friends wrote it. Probably okay. in college. You find that, you share. I know, right? By the way, um, so after, after Ripley aliens. finishes, you know, messing them up, um, she's devastated because she's lost Hicks and Newt because Hicks was, um, in the military, and he disappeared, and then mm-hmm. she doesn't know where she is, where he is, and um, she's working in a bar on some shit planet in the middle of nowhere, and and walks Hicks with their kid, Woo-hoo. and it's great, it's great. Damn it. Yeah, no, I live happily I, ever after on that on that shit planet. <laughs> God. <laughs> Definitely want you to find that, you know, because that that sounds fabulous. But Hicks went to war because there's like two parallel stories in the story. Um, one side you see Ripley doing her thing, and on the other side you see Hicks doing his thing like a badass. It was just a great story. It was like a hundred thousand words. Oh, damn it. This is I had it. Of, um, I had it in a binder. I bet I still have that binder. If you do, you've got my address. Mail it to me. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? If I can't find it and my friend doesn't have it, I'm pretty sure I know who wrote it. I'll ask her about it, and if she can't produce it or doesn't have it, I'll ask her if I can take her idea and rewrite it. And oh, we'll see. Oh, please God, that would just be fabulous because that. You know, I I don't I don't think I've ever I never looked under aliens. I, now now that I know that aliens is there, I have a very bad urge. 
Well, so far, when I typed in Ice Pirate, um, it doesn't come up with anything. There's no Ice Pirates on here. There's no Ice Pirates? How can there not be any Ice Pirates fan fiction? What is wrong with that? Well, there's so far there's four pages, but you know there's no ice pirate stuff. Uh, huh? Now the song J.R.R. Martin is stuff is is all over the place, and Pirates of the Caribbean, but I'm not seeing ice pirates. Hmm. I don't know if I I'm really happy about this or not. I think I'm happy about this. <laughs> Uh, we're not going to go over. You want to go over to fanfiction.net? Because it might not be over there. Man. Oh, hell no. <laughs> okay. You know, there, there's... Oh, man. Talk about, you know... Um, old 80s movies that... that It'll resonate. Oh, I was starting to watch Bond. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. So here's the funny thing. I'm trying to finish up um, the second story that I sold. I'm gearing up Mm -hmm. towards the end. I'm running, you know, sex scene and going through it, and everything's wonderful. So what am I watching? I'm watching Bond, which has about zilch on the romance level, but really hot on the sex. You know? (laughs) So, you know, uh, and it's the Daniel Craig Bond, you know, because Roger Moore is just creepy. Sean Connery is is lovely, but not for this. And Peter Dalton, he's just too slick. And Pierce Brosnan wasn't quite what I wanted, but yeah. I have to say that one time I would have said that Sean Connery was my favorite Bond, um, when I was much younger, but today, if you ask me who my favorite Bond is, I would say Daniel Craig, which is amazing because before the first one came out with with Daniel Craig in the league, I was I was anti Daniel Craig. I was like, no, he cannot be James Bond. He cannot. Oh wait, because <laughs> I watched mm-hmm. it and I was like, oh oh, <laughs> Mr. Bond. Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you know, I would definitely say that Daniel Craig is my favorite, and Skyfall is my favorite James Bond movie ever. So far, yeah, it, it's definitely. Um, you know, I, I've watched. I know I've watched every single James Bond movie, barring the the campy um, ones that were were just the lampoons. Um, I've not watched those, but. I have watched every single single um excuse me, if I got a chance to pen if I got a chance to go snuggle up to um to, to, to Daniel Craig, uh I would be a Bond girl too. I don't care if he has duck lips. I'd want to snuggle that like this tomorrow. Um, and yes, I ship I ship Bond and Q. You know, there's there's always a good time with that. Um, every single James Bond movie has a lot of fun to it. I don't think I'll ever again go watch the the, the Roger Moore stuff. It's just too creepy. 
I never liked the Roger Moore stuff, so I'm not, you know, on the fence about that one. Her Majesty's Secret Service, uh, Viserys, is the, the, the angsty one where he tries to quit. The one where Bond gets married and his wife gets shot. Well, in Skyfall, he fakes his death. <laughs> well, well, he this is true. F- hey. gets shot, stays dead, and... Um... Hey, you know, he's the one who, who comments everybody needs a hobby, and then what's his, um, Silva comments, what's yours? And he says, resurrection. And somebody took that and, and ran with it and made a nice stick out of it. Um, there's, for one Christmas, I got the husband the 50 years of bond, which means he's got all the bonds as Blu-rays. Okay. And they've got a thing on, on this where you can listen to what amounts to the, the initial um, or watch actually the initial uh, title sequences for all of the Bond movies and mm-hmm. I, I, I'm listening to these things and the music and the, the, the Bond theme which is just you know phenomenal um, and then you also get into all the music all right, and it was a really good thing to write to because it definitely moved me along. But you know, you've got everything from Duran Duran to garbage to Tina Turner to um, um, who the hell else? Uh, some of the really old school big name whatevers. To the, there's a, um, a Beatle who had his own band, and I can't remember the name. But, yeah, I mean, all these different groups, and then, you know, it, it, it ended before they put the title sequence for Skyfall in, but you've got Skyfall and its title sequence with Adele, which is so huge and big and lush. And, yeah, it was, it was definitely an interesting thing to write a sex scene, too, as Bond is getting shot off a bridge <laughs> With the machine gun. <laughs> Takes a shot. <laughs> yes. You could do a whole new meaning with that. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah. That's a different yeah. <clears throat> But not sorry. Uh, uh, yes. Never going to happen says Paul McCartney, live and let die. Yes. That is, is something. It's actually 26 bonds, I think. I don't remember how many bones there are. Skyfall is, I don't remember how, what number of bones this is, but it's, yeah. It's definitely um, totally worth it. And I was going through all the, the various James Bond stuff, and it's um, amazing how everything works, how it looks on, on stuff. Oh, let's see. There is going to be a new Bond. I'm actually 
and I know this is heresy, I'm actually looking forward more to the new Bond than I am to the new Avengers. And part of it is, is I think I've gotten sucked too far into the fan fiction for the Avengers where they do fix it, and I don't really want to watch them rip themselves apart. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. So. It may be a mixture. Yeah. I think the other reason is, honestly, I'm I'm kind of hoping that James gets some type of a gadget this time. You know, something other than a very something. nice gun that he something. feeds to a fucking Komodo dragon and a radio. Really? <laughs> you know, although... I'm not a real big fan of Komodo dragons either. Either. Gadgets gadgets are for the wind. There are 23 published or, or official out there James Bond film. Spectres, which is the one coming up this year, is to number 24. So, Hmm. I haven't seen the sneak peek. I have to go see that. I remember watching um, Goldfinger when I was very young and um, just mm-hmm. being <laughs> wall-eyed about it. Oh, what just happened? Oh, yeah. And which one was the one Pussy Galore was in? Because um, I thought that was the filthiest thing I'd ever heard. It was the <laughs> filthiest thing you ever heard. There's a reason for this. At that uh, point, um, yeah, it was. It, cur- it It certainly wouldn't qualify as even my top ten today. But at the time, no. it was definitely the filthiest thing I'd ever heard. Yeah, and, and, and the, they were always surprised when they actually got some of the names through the censors because... You know, if you manage to do that, holy Hannah. Um, let's see. Um, let's see. Octopussy. Yes. Yeah. Octopussy and one other. Mm. Yes. In Dr. No, we had Honey mm, She's Lider. in Goldfinger, they're saying in the chat room. Yeah. Mm. And then in Goldfinger, yeah. We had Odd Job and Pussy Galore, and then that they always they always did some really horrifically bad things to the women's names. I mean, there was that that um, I think it's the World Is Not Enough, where one of the the, the Bond girls was named Christmas, and mm-hmm. Bond makes that horrible joke of Christmas coming in July. It's like really. That's fucking hilarious, actually. <laughs> Christmas should that always come in July. Mhm. Yes. Diamonds are forever was a good one as well. Yeah. 
Oh, Live and Let Die. That one, I think that was the first one I really remember watching and, and actually going back and watching it again. You know, that one was, was probably one of the most um, sexual ones that they had. Oh, a man with a golden gun. Uh, speaking of Christmas, one of my nephews asked me over the weekend, um, since you're an atheist, you shouldn't celebrate Christmas. I said, you're absolutely uh-huh. right. I guess that means I don't have to buy you anything? I didn't say that. I just looked at him. He goes, wait, wait. I made a mistake. I was like, no, 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 it's too late. <laughs> Way too late. He said, you don't celebrate Christmas, do you? I was like, not at my house, no. <laughs> he was like, um. And then he called for his big brother. I made a mistake. It's <laughs> great. Mm-hmm. It's great. But I don't celebrate Christmas at home. Um. I I make a big meal for my husband because he he isn't an atheist and um but I don't buy presents for adults uh I don't I I just don't I don't do Christmas cards I buy Christmas cards for my husband to send out and uh that's about it that's about it I hate Christmas mm-hmm. music I hate the fact that sometime in fucking October they're going to put out all the Christmas crap. I'm like, come on, it's not even Halloween yet. But No, actually, I think parts of ours come up in September, but, you know. Fucking Christmas music in fucking stores. I can't go to Walmart after November 1st because I'll be trying to kill somebody. You do know that Amazon delivers, and they even deliver groceries. I know. It's great. But now I have headphones, my my uh-huh. Bluetooth headset. I put that in before I even go in the store. I don't hear any of that bullshit. Yeah, that's all of them. But one time, I let my good nature get the better of me, and yes, I do have a good nature. I do. Uh-huh. Um. And I said Merry Christmas to somebody. I said Merry Christmas to somebody. And I got a pamphlet for my trouble from a Seventh-day Adventist or a Mormon. I don't remember. And she's telling me this this fucking whatever she's telling me. And it's going out one ear and out the other. I'm going to be perfectly honest. I have no idea what she fucking told me. I said, lady, I'm not even a Christian. I was just trying to be fucking nice. Take your fucking pamphlet. And unmerry Christmas to you forever. And then I got in my car. So Barbara said it's probably a Jehovah's Witness, and you're probably right. It probably was a Jehovah's Witness because I have the worst luck with them. Yeah. But yes. So you know, you let you let it get to the, the best of you just once, and you say Merry Christmas to somebody, and you don't even mean it, and then you you get punished. <laughs> Yeah, if I'm going to listen to to any version of Christmas music with any type of um, happiness, I will listen to Trans-Siberian Orchestra, thanks. Because, you know, at least they're interesting. 
Hmm, let's see. I guess, you know, there's a, the Happy Hanukkah comments as well, too, so. Um, so we've touched on my book. We've touched on the audio. Uh, there's information, by the way, up on my Did we discuss site. your new book? The new no, um, mainly because I'm not 100% certain how much I can. Because while the contract is signed, you know, um, I haven't gotten anything back yet. But it's it's um, the two main characters. One is a photographer, fashion, uh, among other things, and the other is a chef. And just to give you guys an idea of the faces I chose, because that at least I can say. Um, the photographer was Ian Sommelhammer, who I can never pronounce his last name, and the chef was, uh, or is, I should say, for the face, um, Tom Hiddleston. Because if I'm going to pick faces, I'm going to pick pretty faces. <laughs> right. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. So... Yeah, it's it, fires like that are really great to start fires with. Yeah, that's 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 about perfect for those. Um. So yeah, it's uh, the two characters. It's actually written from one's point of or from one one of the two male characters' point of view. So, um, it was a little bit different for me. I don't normally, I, I normally move around pretty freely between everybody's heads. So, oh, and that's another thing I figured out. I can't, I can't head hop. You know, you can't go from one, you know, from one scene to another and have, and, and wander around in everybody's heads. You got to actually, you know, stick with something. Yeah, that's my favorite my favorite indulgence as a fan fiction writer. I don't do it often, but sometimes I do. Um and um but you can't do that professionally unless your name is Nora Roberts. I was told this. I took it Well and yeah, accepted I mean, it as my Nora. own. I am not Nora Roberts and therefore I'm not allowed to head hop. Mhm. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> Yeah. You know, it's it's um it makes more sense when you stick with somebody. I mean, I, I will admit that with mating hunt I wandered into th- to four different <clears throat> for me. I wandered into the two werewolves, um, Katarina, their lady, and really briefly into the um into the, the Dowager um, Alpha. And that's it. I only wandered in the forehead, which sounds really horrible now that I'm saying that out loud. Wow, that's Barbara bad. is um, asking me who said that. It was actually said to me in the middle of a writing conference that uh, if your name isn't Nora Roberts, you can't head hop. That's because head hopping is like the worst thing you can possibly do. And 99% of all publishers are going to tell you to stop it. And 99% of all editors are going to make you fix it. 
except Nora Roberts does it, and no one says a fucking thing to her <laughs> because she's Nora she Roberts. Makes too much money. She does it. She does it as Nora Roberts. She does it as J.D. Robb. There is a J.D. Robb book where she used three different points of view in a single paragraph, and I bet you not a word was said to her by her editor. That's because she's Nora Roberts. So. Mm-hmm. The rule of thumb is in the romance industry, unless your name is Nora Roberts, you don't get to head hop. I'm not, I'm, when I, when I head hop, you know, I try not to head hop in the same sentence or, or the same paragraph. Um, any, anything that I do, it's, it's, Normally, to to make sure that I, I sounds so pretentious, service the story, you know, and make sure that it works. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, head hopping is where you go from one point of view to another, where if you're writing, we'll use Stargate Atlantis. You're writing a story, and your main characters are John and Rodney, and you can write a whole story where you're bopping back and forth between John and Rodney. But, and, and Kira does this, and I've done it occasionally, I prefer to stick with a very small number of people who, whose heads I go back and forth through. Kira does it occasionally where she, you, you've had hopped through a lot of different people. Um, yes, and you it's a point. Like, when you when you look at um, different stories that I've written, a lot of times um, mm-hmm. it'll be like mostly from John's point of view, especially in Stargate. And then you come across one like Time After Time, which is told in a hourly format, and you're seeing different points of the story from different points of view. And it was done that way on purpose as a writing exercise for myself. Um, but the head hopping. You can move from one person to another in the same scene and it not be considered head hopping if you have a very gradual turn and you do your shift and you stay. But if you go from one person to one person to the next person to the next person in the same paragraph, five people in the same scene, if you pop back and forth between two characters in one scene repeatedly, that is called head hopping. It is very distracting to your reader, and it's lazy-ass writing. Once, in the unspeakable plot, I used the point of view of everyone. 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 In a single sentence. It was ridiculous when I read it. Like, oh, what, what did I do? But it, it, but it was a rough draft, mm-hmm. so that's okay. <clears throat> but you know, for me, it's it's I'm I don't want to um, it's hard enough keeping track of point of views when I've got two. Okay, right. Um, adding adding in a third just gets you know makes things get a little bit interesting. Adding in four, five, and six, unless it's an isolated scene here or there, um, it just gets really confusing. You know, um, the I did it for uh, the last 
Well, actually, the the second story I did for um, the, the an uncomplicated choice, and most of my major shifts in point of view either come out in the interludes where it's rarely um, John or Rodney. Uh, they might be in an isolated um, scene where I'm showing somebody else is doing something that is uh, something that will move the story along, so you need to see what they're doing. And, you know, having, you can't exactly have, you know, uh, Rodney scrying on them from above. It just doesn't work that way. Um, so, you know, that's when, when I find that the head hopping is legitimate. The rest of it, I'm trying not to head hop my way around the room, and it sounds really bad and almost kind of, kind of weird when you put it that way, but that's what it feels like because, you know, you're you're setting up shop behind somebody's eyes and you're looking out them. And that's how, how I sometimes feel like I'm writing it. For me, hmm. I move point of view only when it serves the story. Only mm-hmm. if, like, if you're at a character's point of view and that character cannot advance your story because you're you need you need your reader to know something else that you need your reader to know something that the character you're currently writing in cannot tell them cannot demonstrate to them and then you move your point of view so like in ties that bind a lot of ties that bind is told from John's point of view and it's um when I move into Rodney's point of view it's an it's a it's in a very emotional turn Mm-hmm. Because he's going through a lot in in that story, so you have to pick and choose your characters and how John moves action throughout Ties That Bind. He he is the action character. He's he's move move he's movement all the time, and Rodney is emotion, and that's just a craft choice that I made when. Um, Almost actually, almost unconsciously, when I was preparing to write Ties at Bind. And so, at, the more you write, the more these decisions get made in the background, and you don't even realize you're making them until you start thinking about them after the fact. It's just a thing. Mm-hmm. It's also for me. Um when I when I do this and I'm realizing, you know, where where my, my characters are coming from and how they, they work and what they do. And, you know, I'm not a photographer. I don't know anything about photography. Uh, so for me, doing the whole, you know, what is this routine, um, that was that was a great deal of fun sitting there and researching, you know, even the very, very basic information. And that's something that that I found that I have to do a lot more of because, again, I don't have that ready-made set of assumptions, okay? I don't have to realize what an astrophysicist is, you know. I have an astrophysicist. He knows what he's doing. I don't, you know, um, in, in Stargate, I don't have to... Um, I don't have to do, or at least to, uh, say what a 
um, a kernel is. Everybody knows what a kernel is. You know, it's it's all these little things that are that we we got given the shorthand already, and we don't have to deal with it. Well, I do, and boy, does that get interesting. You know, and I have to make sure that I I make it um, believable and that it works, and that you know things that I don't sound like uh, somebody who um, is playing at, at it, you know, because for me, when I do something like that, I want the the world I've built to be at least, at least, you know, partially uh, believable, you know, is, is this, is this something, you know, that, that is at all possible. So, uh, doing your your uh, homework is definitely worth the effort. Yeah, and weren't you the person who told True me story. that you got a ride along? I did. I did get a ride along. Once I actually changed the profession of my character mid right because I could not, I couldn't keep up with it. It was like, mm, because it was it was a science field, and I forget which one it was. But it was he was just not sounding as smart as I wanted him to sound. I was like, fuck it, I'm gonna have to change what he does for a living because this is not working out. Yeah. <clears throat> well, it's like um, my photographer in in this second book. You know, I was thinking, you know, he can he can be a he can uh, photograph food and people and everything and it's like you know this is edging a little close to a fanfic I remember reading let's change things up a little bit and yeah that that took a little bit of effort so you know making sure that I didn't um that I don't copy and paste my own stuff that's a that's a fun one to do as well and that I don't um, trip over stuff that I know is immediately to mind when when you get in this type of a situation, because I don't want to be accused of anything. So, yeah. I don't. Think One of my biggest concerns most- when I first started getting published was that mm-hmm. I read a lot. I read so much. Um, that I feared that I would inadvertently plagiarize somebody. Mm-hmm. By, you know, using a turn of phrase or, you know. But I have to tell you that plagiarism is never by accident. You're not going to make that mistake. Your brain isn't going to take you there. If, when plagiarism happens, it is 99.9% on purpose. Mm-hmm. It's on purpose, so you can't really do it by accident. I mean, you know, yeah, there are seven, maybe eight ideas in the whole world, and it's, and it's how you tell your story that actually matters. Um, right. Because you would, you know, even though you can say that both pretty woman and say working girl are both built on the the Cinderella premise, they are entirely mm-hmm. two different movies. Yes, they are. So, you know, don't – I would say, you know, be careful with your words, of course, but I I would not worry so much about um, plagiarizing um, anybody but yourself. <laughs> you might end up um, 
quirks that are in your fan fiction will show up in your professional work. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that I that so, I'm aware of and, and I can live with that. And it's it's terms terms of phrases and you know, how I I I put things and that I can live with. But you know, it's it's not doing the the you know, taking um being lazy and taking a sex scene and just copying and pasting and then filing off certain um certain identifying marks. You know, I'm I'm not going to do that because it's not appropriate. You know, it really no, isn't. No, the not even published. <laughs> yes. You know, and it would be very, now if it hasn't um, been published and it's just on your computer by itself and nobody's seen it, you do whatever the hell you want to with it. It's yours. <laughs> yes. Well, it it's you know most of my stuff that's out is out and and everybody has access to it. Um. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not going to do that. You know, it's just, it's, I, I, as much as I want to, uh, want to some days, because, yeah, it goes back to the sex scenes are fun to read, but God damn, they're boring to write. <laughs> I, so you know, me. sex scenes, um, most of the time, they just they just flow right out of me. I, I've never really had a problem writing sex, although I do acknowledge that over the last year and a half I have had a problem writing gay sex, and that's um, mm-hmm. because I was grossed out, and uh, I'm I'm getting over it. I'm I'm, I'm moving mm-hmm. past it because I really miss writing on ties that bind, and I know I can't start the Criminal Minds AU, and I can't finish the North Star until I work myself out of this terrible, nasty place that I got put into against my will. Yeah. Although, I admit that I brought it on myself because I did ask to see what I saw. You did. Because mm-hmm. I was trying to be a responsible website owner and community runner. I was trying to be, you know, I was trying to own my stuff and make an informed decision. And I made an informed decision after I threw up for 35 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I'm not kidding. For 35 minutes. And then I dry heaved for about another hour afterwards. I I honest I have an extremely weak stomach and I didn't anticipate it being what it was. And I should have because I was told. I just didn't think mm-hmm. it would be. But here's the second rule of minionhood. The first one is don't eat or drink when you're listening to the podcast. If you're on Facebook, you're in the chat room. Anywhere or any other place you might see something mm-hmm. that will shock you so much you will snort whatever you're eating or drinking. Rule number two. If Azor if it makes Azor sick or freaks her out or upsets her in any single fucking way, you don't want to see it. If it makes me twitch, you don't want to see it because I think I've got a stronger stomach than Az does on certain things. And when and really, that's just that's just for the second for the for the record. The rule number three is there's no excuse for being a cop block unless you, there's a fire. Unless someone's dead or on number, fire, there is no excuse for being a cock block. Yes, and rule number four will always be no ass to mouth. <laughs> you said it last that's time. Right. <laughs> Uh, 
Yes, and ever since I've seen, I, I saw that image, and I'm not discussing what it was again, um, but it was mentioned in a previous podcast, and if you really want to know, contact Azure on Facebook, and she'll let you know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Don't contact Azure. That's mean. That's terrible. <laughs> just trust this that it was bad. Um, yeah. And, and, and it ruined me. It it, mm-hmm. it it ruined me, and I um I was actually um in the middle of writing something that I have not been able to write on since. Yeah, it, it fucked you up pretty hard, and that that pissed me off. So yeah, I've I've had a problem writing gay sex, but um I'm working through it. I did write that one brief mm-hmm. sex scene um during the um. When I wrote that Tony Steve story that I mm-hmm. saw down immediately after the sex, and I knew as soon as I wrote the sex that I was done. I, I wasn't going to be able to write any more on that story, and it really upset me. Um, it was irritating. Yeah. Um, well. To, but but at least I broke the barrier, so to speak. Mhm. Yes, you did. <laughs> So hopefully it'll get better because I do I do want to finish the North Star and I do want to um, start my Criminal Minds AU which I've plotted out I've got I filled up a composition notebook for the plot Criminal Minds it has its own Bible um, <laughs> I know it's probably sacrilegious to call my porn my porn plot a Bible but um, it's a hundred pages so it's like those books are a hundred pages and I use both sides so it's two hundred pages of plot oh no. Yeah, yeah, it's two hundred pages, yeah. one hundred sheets. So, and it's and it's still front to back. Yeah, and I can't read it because it's it's way out of where I'm able. To, I, I'm not going to be able to get my hands on it. Alex, one page is just a list of um, BDSM implements and sexual positions. <laughs> <laughs> That works for me. Well, she has two pages. One page is the BDSM implements, and the other one is the sex is the sex positions. So I can hey, check them off, you know, so you guys can have some variety. One 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 yeah. thing that I had a real problem with writing ties that bind was the exhibition scenes and making each one of them different. Because if they were the same thing over and over again, why the fuck was I showing it to the reader? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just repeating it, just repeating it over and over again didn't make any sense. So they all had to be unique and interesting and give the story something new, something more. Oh, my. So you're writing a sequel to Mating Hunt, right? Actually, it's a prequel. It's, um, oh, what the hell? It's. I mentioned that the character, one of the two characters, very briefly in in um, in Mating Hunt, it is uh, Marcus, the alpha. He has an older sister by the name of Marie, and um, it's her story. And um, I actually have asked a couple people to double check and make sure it flows because I will be honest and say I read it. And when I read it, I fill in all the holes. I fill in all the missing right. words. I fill in all the, the, when the tenses wander around and, oh, my God, that's one of the things that always gets me is the tenses. You know, where, you know, you're, you're, you're 
writing along and it's, you know, and so-and-so did this, this, and this. And then the next line is, and he he goes and does, you know, and he's going to do this, or you know, it, it flips back and forth between tenses. And that's so annoying when I don't realize I'm doing it until I get to the stage where I'm editing, and all of a sudden I'm sitting there spending 20 minutes rearranging all my tenses because I've got a whole scene in this <laughs> completely wrong tense. This is a quirk that I have, and it's so weird, and it's so bizarre, but I occasionally, when I'm writing sex, slip into present tense. Yeah, that, that's, that's, it's, the, the, the exhibition, or ex, not exhibition, but um, the talking scenes, I can't re- remember the correct word for it, but, you know, where I'm, I'm, I've got somebody talking, and I slip in the present tense. Uh, or it's you know somebody who's observing something and it's you're you're slipping into present tense and it's really bizarre. So Barbara's um, in the chat room bragging that she got to read this. Yes, she did. Yeah. I needed That's okay, know, Barbara, because it's, it's, it's on a folder right now on my computer, and I can read it if I wanted to. Yes, and I told you that you could. So bleh. <laughs> <laughs> but here's no, the thing I, that, I, that I do. Um, I try not to poke my, bit, no, my my nose into her professional projects until she invites me to, um, because I don't want to... Uh, Make my writing Sometimes, yours light? Yeah, I mean, I don't... Writers influence each other. There's a okay. great deal of influence when you're in a writing group. Um, I see you guys doing it in Rough Trade. You influence mm-hmm. each other, and you um, <clears throat> you start to shift and shape your stories, and it's... And that happens in lots of writers' groups. And when you have two writers that are very close together, they develop a synergy. And um, Lady Holder and I have that synergy because um, <laughs> in when you when you read um, beautiful nature's <laughs> things, um, you will in the beginning you can tell who's writing what. Oh yes. That's when we first started it. But around the middle, you're going to lose the ability to tell which one of us is writing which scene. Because we've, um, that, our synergy clicked about, I guess about a year ago. And, Mm -hmm. um, I can, I can actively write in, in Lady Holder's voice. I don't, but I could. And what happens in Beautiful and Dangerous Things is that, um, our voices kind of merged, and we kind of emulate each other as it goes along. Mm-hmm. And so you literally lose the ability to tell who is who, you know, who wrote this scene, who wrote this dialogue. You're going to lose that ability to tell. Now, in the first part, before um, we first started doing it, at least in the rough draft, it, it's it's very obvious who wrote which, but now not anymore. Oh. Um okay. Because we're mimicking each other. That's the word I'm looking for, mm-hmm. mimicking. We're we're mm-hmm. mimicking each other. So when it comes to her, her professional work, 
I don't stick my nose in it until she asks me to because I don't want to um, to add my voice to hers professionally because that's it's it's got to be about her, you know. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, anyways, but yeah, we do have a uh, a kind of a, a mutual voice in um, beautiful mm-hmm. and dangerous things. It's it's different than either voice we have individually. Mhm. It is. It's, it's a lot snarkier than than you would expect. Yeah, it's meaner. Yes, it, it really is. <laughs> it's meaner. <laughs> I would say I would say that I'm like a knife individually, but together we're like a sword. <laughs> we're just. Yeah, if you could give your writing voice a, a, a weapon, what would your weapon be? Well, there's a couple times it's been an axe, you know, and it's hacked its way. I mean, really, honestly, it's hacked its way through a couple things because, you know, the the beautiful and dangerous thing, things, it's more like an axe than anything, okay? Um, and it's it's one of the ones, sorry about this, I have to close the window. Um, it's one of the ones where it's got the really nice pointy tenderizing bits at the top, where you can sit there and jack somebody and then you can sit there and just, you know, make hamburger out of them as you chop them into dicey, little dice pieces. You know, beautiful and dangerous things. You and I talked a lot about, we talked about some pretty horrible things when we figured out what we wanted to do with our murders. And you and I did yeah. it without a qualm. We laughed, we giggled. The who, the what, and the why um, yes. is horrific. Yes, and how. Yes, the how was a good time. The how too. was bad, too. The how was bad. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, so it's, yeah. And But the thing is, is that most writers can talk murder without blinking an eye because um, I'm not fiction, uh I don't know if I'm desensitized to it or I just I have a really strong line between reality and fiction and um but you and I also picked murders that were possible and probable and we we <clears throat> managed to That's because um, I watch a lot of a lot of investigative discovery. <laughs> yes. This is true. Investigation discovery, is that what it's called? Yes. Um, uh, And people are fucked up. Yeah, Barbara Stucker. I did. Yeah. I did. I was going to let her. You also got Oreos. I was going to let her have it. Yeah. I got got Oreos. Oreos. I got Oreos delivered to my house. Gift wrapped. (laughs) Thank you for hey, our Oreos. I, 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 I started giggling, and my husband was like, what is that? I said, tribute. <laughs> he said, are you fucking serious? I said, of course I'm fucking serious. And he said, what is it? I said, what do you think it is? Fucking Oreos. <laughs> uh-huh. And no, there were, there were no there were gift wrapped. or sunscreens. Yes, and that they were gift wrapped. I made sure of that. But there were, there's no Iron Maidens and there's no thumbscrews in this. Okay. On the other hand, 
the the really I think the really the thing that really gets me about the the killer we picked, you know, aside from the, all the other fucked up shit that is going on in this particular guy's psyche, is they're not. I mean, and and I think it's it's with every killer that that is like this. They're not people. They're resources. They're they're objects. You know, and that's well, that's, that's what, what a serial killer does. That's what a sociopath does. Mm-hmm. They're not actual people. Yeah. They're um which is why, you know, you see um in dramas you see cops trying to personalize a person. Mm-hmm. Um trying to make them real to the person who's taken them because a lot of times they're not. They're a means to an end. Mhm. Um yeah. one, I think one of the best examples of that would be uh Buffalo Bill in Signs of the Lambs. His victims had absolutely no value beyond the purpose he gave them. The characterization of Buffalo Bill is amazing in that movie. Um, he's fucked up and he's a sociopath and he has, I mean, it's just amazing. It's And then well, Hannibal Lecter, who is easily the most horrific character ever put to paper, um, fictional mm-hmm. character that is, uh, and, and there are far worse people in reality. Yeah. I do watch Hannibal. Um, Hannibal is a monster. Hannibal is a monster. Total monster. And um, one of the... It's just amazing. It, it is amazing. And mm-hmm. when you see the history of Hannibal and uh, his... Uh, his... His movement... From a normal kid to a boy caught by Nazis to a boy who is force-fed his own sister. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's Hannibal's oh, first that's um, brush with cannibalism. And then later, um, he hunts down all those Nazis and kills them and eats them as an adult. Or does he burn them up? He burns one in the furnace. I think he might eat the others. Um, but it, well, that's just horrific. I mean, I'm just saying. But as, as a character, yeah. Hannibal Lecter is is diverse and and complex, and he's layered, and he's ugly, and he's oh, disgusting. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I'll tell you what. In the TV show. Whenever you see Hannibal cooking a meal, you're wondering to yourself who offended him. <laughs> because there is a scene where somebody was rude to him, and when it came time to refill his freezer with meat because he was out of meat, he went to his Rolodex and found the card of that person who was rude to him and pulled it out. And they were for dinner. So a good rule of thumb, if you live in a Hannibal Lecter's universe, don't be rude to Dr. Lecter. He doesn't appreciate rudeness. No. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a case where I would... um, But if you want to read... If if, if you want to listen to... 
if you want to watch the background of Hannibal's um, um, origin, um, watch or read Hannibal Rising, and it um, it explains where he comes from, and it it does humanize him to a uh, to a degree, and but it doesn't make him any less horrific. Knowing what he comes from does not make him any less horrific. And uh, so when you're shaping a killer, when you're building a killer, um, even if you give them, and most often than not, you know, sociopaths aren't born, they're made. Ours was made. The the background we gave for him. They're all made. I don't believe in the bad seed. I don't believe you're born bad. I don't believe in that. Um, All sociopaths are made. They are broken during developmental stages in their life, four, five years old. That's when a sociopath gets made. They're broken by abuse, whether it be physical, emotional, or sexual. Um, mm-hmm. They are broken by severe trauma. Like the character of Dexter watched the um, vicious murder of his mother when he's three or four years old. Hannibal Lecter was forced to eat his own sister uh, as a very young child, like seven or eight. Uh, so Norman Bates, I think, I think Norman Bates. Um, now that Edward Gein, who is the origin character for Norman Bates, I believe his mother sexually molested him, and he developed necrophilia. Uh, Norman. Norman has an, an an emotionally abusive mother, maybe, or an, a domineering mother who, but sociopaths are made, and and they're made when they're children, and so the human condition is kind of ugly. <laughs> oh yeah, human. I think as a writer, horrible. I, I I think as a writer, you, you have to be brave and and make those choices to say, okay, this this is what made my character what he is today. Right. I'm so uh, saying that um, Dexter got locked in a blood-filled shipping container with his brother. Yeah, I believe his mother's dead body, because all that blood was hers. That seems vague for me, and I believe, yeah, his brother was in there, and his brother um, was the ice truck killer, also a serial killer, Um Barbara says, in all my years of teaching, I had one five-year-old sociopath in my class. I met a sociopath in in college, um, diagnosed, uh, not a killer yet. Knock on wood. (laughs) I hope they're not out there killing right now. But um, he was a a diagnosed sociopath, and he was, um, his father regularly physically abused the whole family and when he was 6 years old um his father shot the whole family including the person that I met he was shot as well he was shot in the chest um with a 9mm handgun and he was the only survivor uh, because the father shot all three kids and the mother and then himself and this person that I met in college was the only survivor of this and he was a 
documented, diagnosed sociopath, and he felt absolutely no um, emotional connection to anyone. Um, he didn't get scared. He didn't get nervous. He didn't know what it was to be happy. There was nothing. In high, yeah, I had in high school a kid who... I don't know what was broken with this kid, but something was. But he thought I was the greatest thing ever because I sat there and I met his eyes and I had no problem looking back at him while what was going on behind his eyes was things better left unmentioned, you know, and and never to see the light of day because I liked most of my classmates. I didn't need to to let him... I I was really praying that he was never let loose. And I don't know if this kid ever um, went and did something, but he, um, there was something fundamentally broken with that kid. But he thought I was the greatest thing ever because out of, out of the almost 2,000 people I went to school with at that time, I was one of the few people who would stare back at him and not freak out. What I would say so, is I don't know actually what's more scary. A sociopath liking you or a sociopath not liking you. I don't know. But it kind of reminds me of that scene in The Sphere with um, Dustin Hoffman and Sharon Stone. Um, they find mm-hmm. this alien sphere on the bottom of the ocean and... Um, they're all really excited, and shit starts to happen. And at one point, um, someone expresses concern about the sphere. And um, also, they said, well, don't be concerned, because it's happy. And Dustin Hoffman's character basically says, well, well, wait, wait. If it does this when it's happy, what's it going to do when it's mad? Yeah. And everybody went, oh, <laughs> Oh shit! Oh yeah, <laughs> because there there are two sides of that, you know. You know, honestly, the line between I, I, love I, and hate is thin. Oh yes, and the the thing for me is is I look at, um, you know, I I have cats, or they have me, and I've watched. I've watched as the little um, hunter instinct, you know, kind of just flares up and their their entire brain just kind of, you know, gets a little blood soaked and, and I'm edible. And admittedly, I'm a hell of a lot bigger than my cats, but they still look at me and I can see them doing the, there's a, you know, there's a lamb chop here and there's a roast here. And if we carve a little bit off here and it's like, no. But honestly, that's what I felt like when I was around that kid in high school where he was looking at me and wondering when I was going to be afraid of him. Yeah. It's just weird. Or maybe when he was going to stop liking you. Uh, He, as far as I know, all the way through uh, that year of high school, never stopped liking me. (laughs) Well, you're still here. He Yes, pretty much. It was it was honestly like 
it was honestly like looking into a very large wildcat's eyes where this cat had been brought in from the wild and had eaten somebody already, and nobody knew for sure and certain that this cat had had human before. Okay. <laughs> Curiosity. And, I went yeah. to school with a girl who had no fear response. Um, she uh, had a brain injury. She took a head a head wound when she was very young, and she had no fear response. No startle reflex whatsoever. No no ability to fight or flight. She just didn't respond at all. It was yes. the most interesting thing I've ever seen. Because <laughs> you couldn't scare her. You, you could you could run up to her in the middle of the night and grab her, and she'd be like, oh, hey. <laughs> Bizarre. Yeah, Twisted just put... Uh, Uh, Twisted Writer just put it up on here. um, I guess um, she says, my sister worked at an uh, an alternative school. She said that the creepiest thing was when one of the sociopaths would decide she was an acceptable person and abruptly cuddle like a feral cat. Like a feral cat. (laughs) That was pretty much it. You know, and, you know, you're, you're not supposed to treat people like you do cats. You know, and admittedly, you know, I wasn't quite tempted to go break out the water um, pistol and, you know, squirt him with water to get him away from me. But he kept cuddling up to me, and it was like, hmm, yes. Weird. The humanity is just absolutely bizarre. There, there's a such a wide range of where our brains go that it's um. It makes for interesting writing. You know. Um, and then sitting down or sitting down with a with somebody who who actually um enjoys the weird, the twisted and the, the disturbed and then you know, talking about stuff, that's always fun. Wasn't Dexter taught limits because he hunted those he hunted the bad guys? He didn't. He didn't go out. Dexter and, and was. Play. Dexter was. Um. He his his adoptive father caught him killing animals, and once he realized what his adopted son was, he installed a um, code in Dexter, so to speak, um, so that his son would not end up in jail. Right. So. His his dad was a cop, and he thought, well, mm-hmm. if you're going to do this, you might as well be providing a public service. <laughs> so he taught Dexter <laughs> to hunt other criminals and other sociopaths. But what I would say is this, is that not every sociopath is a serial killer, and not every serial killer is a sociopath. Mm-hmm. This is true. Because while it might but, be a joke on Sherlock, there are highly, there are high-functioning sociopaths who don't kill people. <laughs> right. And it's not because they would have a problem doing it, because they wouldn't have a problem doing it. Um, they're just smart enough to know that prison's not a great experience. 
Yeah. They don't yeah. fear going to hell. They don't fear anything. Sociopaths don't. They just choose to obey the law. It's those ones that don't obey the law that give other sociopaths a bad name. The um, you wrote a a I think it was you who wrote one where um, Sherlock is actually a sociopath. Yes, he is a sociopath, but he's not someone who derives sexual pleasure out of killing, and that isn't actually a requirement. Um, Sociopaths can derive a variety of pleasures from killing, and it doesn't have to be sexual. Um, That's the most often depicted um, mindset in the media, Uh, but um, Sherlock gets an unmitigated joy out of um, killing, that is not remotely sexual. It's um, because he developed it at a very young age. It's uh, it's a the first person he saw killed. He loved, mm-hmm. and he thought she was beautiful, even when she died. So he thinks death is beautiful. He likes to see it. But it doesn't turn him on because I couldn't write that. Not for Sherlock anyway. I could write it. I could totally write it, but not for Sherlock. Um, so he's a goal-oriented killer, and the goal mm-hmm. is the death. That's all he wants out of it is the death. Um, and in my story, Mycroft shaped him to only kill bad people. And he admits that he would kill other people, but they're boring. So he hunts criminals because they're not boring. And it's no more complicated than that. mm -hmm. (laughs) And he has to, he has to, as part of his ritual, if I remember it, it has to, to, he has to prove that they need to die. That there's a reason for it. Right. He has to prove it. Um, Otherwise, my crop Mm -hmm. will lock him up. Mm-hmm. He has to prove it. At last, Mycroft tells him he can kill somebody, and he doesn't have to prove it. <laughs> if he has yeah. permission first. <sighs> There's, um... I think the more disturbing reaction in some ways is John's reaction. Or maybe it's John's non-reaction. I think so, too. And most people don't catch that. They don't catch... John's own lack of um, empathy for the victim. Mm-hmm. John's only concern in that story is Sherlock. John is even in can- in, in BBC canon. Yes, he has Mary, or whatever her name is. Um, yes, he cares about, you know, the people around him. Yes, he cares about his sister. But his heaviest and most devout emotional connection is to Sherlock. When I wrote John as a sociopath in um, The Invisible Repercussions, um, only like two or three people commented on the fact that 
Rodney knew what he did, followed him out there, and suggested they have sex afterwards. Mm-hmm. And that Rodney's well, biggest was that he didn't get a warning, so he had to work harder than he would have normally had to work, which implies, mm-hmm. one, that John's done this before. They've done it before. And uh-huh. two, Rodney don't give a shit. And three, they're totally going to go fuck. <laughs> and four, so gonna, it, it, it turns gonna them do it again both on. Mm-hmm. This revenge killing has turned them both on, so they're going to go fuck. And only like three or four people found that part disturbing. And to me, that's um, the most disturbing part of the whole story. <laughs> I think part of the problem for me that that is the lack of disturb is I'm, I was just I think I was I was caught in the, the far too satisfied with myself, you know, as I finished that that the fucker died. He was literally shark bait. <laughs> yep. And no I one mean, commented on that. No one commented nope. on the fact that John fed him to a shark. I think actually my comment was... Well, he was still alive. That, he went into the water still breathing. Yay. Didn't last long. <laughs> no. <laughs> he honestly yes. probably drowned. Yes. And no, he didn't know. There's no drowning there. Because he went, well, there's no, it, well, it depends on how long the shark took him down before he ate him. They're not like crocodiles. They don't take them down and drown them and then eat them. But when you see that, no, see, they drag, they drag their prey. I watched uh-huh. that, um, on, on on Shark Week and Discovery. I saw that one girl with the, with the one arm that's still um, surfing, uh-huh. still surfing, yeah. pregnant surfing with one arm. Um, the shark dragged her, and she got loose. Mm-hmm. But even then, it, it, he was alive, and no one said a word about that <laughs> mm-hmm. when he went in the water. Nope. Azura's saying she I, giggled. I, so, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I, you can I write dark, dark, fucked up things, and no one has a problem with it. <clears throat> Excuse me, I like I like Crimes Against Humanity, and I won't let you read that one. So don't even. No, she but, won't let me read Crimes Against Humanity, and I'm, I'm not even tempted to go over there and check it out because she's made me afraid of it. Good. Don't read it. Um, I read I read that one. I've read that one for years. I giggle, and I know exactly how twisted that makes me. Um, <laughs> sorry. You know. Um, I, I'm, I'm of the opinion that some people need to have railroad tie or uh, railroad spikes, uh, driven through their knees and, and stake out to an anthill. But, you know, that's just me being, you know, sweet, compassionate and wonderful to certain people because that's about as mild as I'm ever going to get towards them. Yeah. It's not just me agreeing at this point. Uh, You know, I only have a problem with um, dubious consent and rape. And you I wonder why I'm telling you, no, 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 no. There's reasons. I know, I know those, I know those stories. You are never reading them. Alrighty. Okay. Okay. 
We're down to two minutes. Mm-hmm. I've been cock blocked again. <laughs> I've not cock blocked. I've been in fandom for like seven or eight years, um, and I have never been allowed to read Crimes Against Humanity. <laughs> Excuse me. Trust me and trust the other minions when we say this is not something you should go read. Okay? There are reasons. I won't read it. Good. Now, if you, I mean, we've still got four days before the end of the month. You know, since we're talking about stuff and and death and destruction and mayhem and horrible things. We've mm-hmm. got a murderer to catch. We've, you know, the hunt is on, and we've left the hunt for a long time. Go hunt. <laughs> I know, right? But but we're four I, days I, out I, from I'm the challenge. Doing... Oh come on! You you're telling me you can't put put together a hunt in just a little bit of time? All you have to do is dump it right back on me. It's your turn. <laughs> we are down to forty three seconds. Um. You guys have a great weekend. Yes, and we remember, rough trade starts. Rough, Ooh, rough trade starts in a few minutes. Um, remember, no ass to mouth. Yes, it's not too much Bye-bye, to ask everybody. of anybody. No, it's not. Shut, shut up, up and sit down. down. Can't wait for summer? Old Navy's huge summer sale starts now. All jeans, all tees, all dresses, and all shorts are on sale up to 50% off. Jeans start at $15 for adults, $10 for kids. Shorts from $12 for adults, $7 for kids. Buy online and pick up in-store for free today. All jeans, tees, dresses, and shorts are on sale up to 50% off. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 5-6 to 5-12. Excludes in-store clearance. Active, licensed, men's packaged, and flag tees. Seven billion humans on Earth can't all like the same drink. That's why Circle K has Polar Pop and Froster. Pick your flavors and make that one in seven billion mix just right for you. Polar Pop and Froster, just 79 cents each at Circle K. Limited time only at participating locations.